and welcome to Masters of Divinity. I am your... Well, you know, I'm conflicted, Chuck. I, You know, when, when it's just you and me... By the way, I'm here, Father Chuck. Hi. When it's just you and me, I have I have a problem doing the introductions because it's like, like I said, it's like just two dudes talking to each other. <laughs> like, am yeah, I, how, how are you moderating? Am I moderating if it's just you and me? I don't know. Maybe it's 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 a one on one, one like a like a Barbara Walters thing. <laughs> Bar- I, yes, I. You know, as soon as you said that, there was suddenly like a Vaseline sheen on the lens, and now it's like very soft focus looking at you. And I do that. I could do the Barbara Walters chin thing, though. <laughs> you know, oh man, this brings back so many memories on like. Uh, on like Friday nights, I'd frequently stay with my grandparents growing up, yeah. and we would always watch like 2020, like yeah, Dateline and stuff. Dateline, 2020. Like I grew up. No, nah, we weren't. We weren't a CBS family. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, occasionally, occasionally maybe, but like they were much more of a uh, of an NBC. We were, we've always been much more of an NBC. I guess for some CBS because my grandmother was really into David Letterman, so I take that back. Okay. But. Yeah, that was like Friday night. So my grandparents was like after dinner, we I would we'd sit in the living room together. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm like a elementary age kid. Yeah, and we'd be watching like I think it was like Dateline followed by 2020. Uh-huh. Um, didn't Unsolved Mysteries come on after 2020? No, Unsolved Mysteries was on Wednesdays. That was on Wednesday. Okay, because I, I watched that, and I know we have talked about talking about that show on this podcast. Yeah. I feel like I need to do a rewatch though, because I haven't watched it in a long time. Uh-uh. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> They're available now and on like Amazon and stuff. I know that, and I that show creeps me right the heck it out. It creeps me out too. I I, I tried the watching theme song. It. The theme song is the most terrifying thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> it is. That's why I loved it. I tried watching it uh, a couple months ago, um, and one of the scariest episodes is on there. It's it's I think it's from season three. I think it's like a it's like a haunted house episode. And it was it was pretty scary. Yeah, like like they kind of go all out with those. Like the like the like the top ten most wanted like FBI you know kind of things that never really creeped. I mean, somewhat creeped me out. Yeah. But it was once again to the paranormal, man. <laughs> Gosh, what? A, maybe we should talk about the show right now. Let's <laughs> like, dedicate a small segment to mystery to unsolved mysteries. Yeah, groundbreaking, groundbreaking television because it mixed like. True crime with the paranormal. Yeah, it was. It was what it was what the X Files wound up doing it, it, as exactly. like a narrative thing. Yeah, and you know what? I'm starting to find throughout the early '90s the influences behind X Files as I'm getting older, Chuck. Because I started watching Twin Peaks. Oh, okay. And I know for a fact after watching Twin Peaks, uh, Agent Cooper, Kyle, Kyle McLaughlin's character, definitely inspired Mulder. And if you ever seen Silence of the Lambs, that's totally clear. Like Clary Starling is totally Scully. Oh yeah. And this the Unsolved Mysteries, that it's it's I could see I could see what Fox was doing, man. Yeah, they just threw they threw um, they threw Unsolved Mysteries in a blender with Silence of the Lambs and Twin Peaks and just now if like if only X Files had an episode that was directed by David Lynch starring Robert Stack and Colin McLaughlin. God, Robert Stack. I mean, seriously, like, oh man. I mean, he is he is he is incredible in Airplane. And um, it makes a great great cameo in basketball. Because remember, they did. I don't know. Did you ever watch basketball? <laughs> really, JP? I don't know. Did you? I have seen that movie 
multiple times. They they spoof mysteries, uh, the unsolved mysteries. Yes, uh, yes. I it's actually I, I will say it's been years since I've seen the movie, but um, but I do remember that now. Yes. Yeah, Robert Sack was a good sport, man. He yeah, he really he really was, and is is he still alive? Uh, no, he died actually fairly recently. I think. Okay. A few years ago, I believe. But no, man, the I, just hearing the Unsolved Mysteries theme, like because I associate that show. What do you What do you think I associate that show with? Um, what probably. genre of something terrifies me more than other things? Oh, abductions, UFO, abductions. alien abductions. <laughs> I associate that show. That that show is responsible for my fear of aliens. <laughs> I I I agree. I mean, I I remember watching some episodes. Uh, where they talk about abductions, and one of them, I don't know if it was an alien abduction or a ghost story, but this dude, I guess he had, there's this little girl that was always complaining about someone always visiting her at night, and some, and, and the dude, I guess her father, decided to sleep on the floor of her bed, or the floor of her room, while she slept on the bed, and he, like, woke up to, like, this fog, like, running over him and i remember the actor like screaming his head off and that like scared the crap out of me i'm like that's commitment for the for stuff like that and yeah, yeah it's a creepy show i th- i think i think the dr- dramatic reenactment stuff is what added to the creepy factor especially with it like at the way it would like flash in the bottom of the screen like dramatic reenactment like i think that that just it just added something to it but yeah. anyway we, we we should talk about that show at some point in the future absolutely um to talk instead, though, right now about what we have actually gathered here to maybe kind of talk about. Uh, first, I, th- I think we need to address uh, the elephant that is not in the room. Oh. Um, Chuck, yes. I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if you heard about this. Um, as you know, you're listening, listeners. Uh, Matt is not with us. Um, but I don't know. I, I know all about it, Chuck. I, I know you've been pretty busy. Um, but Matt has had like a really, really tough week. Yeah. Um, he did some kind of photo shoot over the weekend that the the president was not a big fan of. <laughs> I, okay, I won't go yeah, into details. I won't go into details. He yeah, that's right. He he was involved. Yeah, yeah. And then and then he and, managed to convince um, a certain kind of washed up redheaded comedian to be superimposed over him so that it could save a little bit of face for him, right? Is a that... little bit. He, You know what? He put he put more effort in trying to cover it up than actually doing it. So I was like, that's not really artistic integrity, Matt, but okay. Um, so that happened. Um, the president was not a big fan. The president's children were not big fans of it. Um, or so the president says. Uh, he also uh, bought a ticket to uh, an all-female Wonder Woman screening. Wow. Um, I, I don't know what he was trying to prove with that one, really. To be honest, like he, he's like, I, I will. I'm just, I'm just gonna do it, man. You know, whatever. You know, men's rights or whatever. I'm like, I don't know what that means, but okay. Uh, and 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 apparently, I, I guess, I guess it didn't work. They wouldn't let him in. And he decided to tweet about it, but he was really tired, and he made some kind of typo and that typo went totally viral on the internet. And, uh, he tried to tell everybody that it was Arabic for, I stand alone or something. I don't know. I was like, Matt, you and I both know it's not Arabic. Okay. It's a typo. So I told him, I told him to take the week off. Okay. And just cool. Makes sense. It makes sense. Recuperate. You know, it's, I think it's just the stress with, you know, coming out of the Academy, 
getting a new job, you know, getting a job, traveling, traveling over to the Middle East and Europe and, and meeting with all those world leaders. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's really, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. It's, it's tough. It's tough. And, you know, I think a lot of us, we think that we think that the job is very easy. Um, but it, it actually, I mean, it's demanding. You're, you're on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You don't really get a day off. You don't really get vacation. I mean, you can maybe sneak a few, a few hundred rounds of golf in here and there. Um, but you, you really, I mean, I, I mean, a sinkhole formed in front of his house, Chuck. <laughs> I mean, I, what are we even doing? <laughs> this started out as a, a joke that he was somehow Kathy Griffin. And now, now, now Matt is the president of the United States. <laughs> I, this is this is what happens when you don't show up on the show, man. This is what happens. You have to endure this. I don't know. I just feel like there's got to be. It's, I don't know. Yeah, Matt's not here. He's <laughs> you know he's he's a lot going on in his life right now, and we love him and and we miss him, and we 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 look forward to when there is some form of regularity and consistency, um, yeah. in his life to where he can be a, a, in our midst. Absolutely, absolutely, and you know, stay off Twitter. It's not really working out for you. Yeah, that's yeah. You know, you know it's Kavif. <laughs> Kavif. I, I don't know, man. You would, uh, Matt. You even tell us how to pronounce the word. <laughs> if you're gonna put it out there, you gotta at least tell us how to pronounce it. I mean, he hashtagged it. I don't get it. <laughs> that's your first mistake. Anyway, so this week, uh, uh, no more music mayhem. Uh, I already miss music mayhem, Chuck. You know, we could have just changed this whole podcast to being where it was just nothing but Music Mayhem and we just <laughs> talked about albums. And Could have just changed the podcast's name to Music Mayhem. Yeah, or like uh, Masters of, of de- disc- Decibels. Decibel. There we go. <laughs> Masters of Decibels. Uh, that sounds like, like your band teacher. <laughs> like, Oh, yeah, like your band teacher's band. <laughs> yeah. Hey, who are the decibels? Oh, oh no, you know, no, no, no. It'd be like if you're like if like a group of if like if your like music teacher was like a woman and like a group of like her friends came up with like a sort of Motown sounding vocal group, they could call themselves the decibels. Oh gosh. <laughs> wow. Life gets really boring. Anyway, so this week it's just going to be Chuck and I, and we're going to be talking about uh, Chuck. This was uh, something that actually you thought up. Yes. Um, why don't you tell the folks at home what our topic is this week, since it was your idea? So, as a preface to what we're to to, to this, just give a little context. Um, both both JP and I, and Matt as well. Um, you know, as we've mentioned in previous episodes of the podcast, we grew up in evangelical uh, Baptist upbringings. Um, evangelical Southern Baptist kind of sometimes fundamentalist upbringings. And um, one of the things that we hear, we heard a lot, we still hear it. And, and if you are, if you are of that, uh, of that religious persuasion, you probably hear it too, even now, is this idea that the media hates Christians, that they are opposed to Christians, that the only time Christians show up on TV is to be made fun of. And this feeds into this whole thing of, of like a kind of persecution complex. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, 
that 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 is fostered within these communities. And, and you know, there's some truth to it. I don't want to deny that. Um, I mean, my wife is a big Gilmore Girls fan, and I sort of feel like that um, Roy's friend Lane, who's um, who's an Asian-American um, person, her mother is very, very Christian. And she and her mom are consistently like their religion is like a butt of a lot of jokes on the show. It's not part of it's not seen as cool. It's seen as kind of lame, um, you know, and that's that. I mean, that's one that's one example. But you know, you think of, you know, typically there's a, the, you know, even, even to some degree, the Simpsons, you know, Flanders, who has since become kind of a beloved character really began life as sort of, you know, a punching bag. Oh yeah. Um, but and, also, also sort of like at, w- at the beginning of the show, cause I watched the marathon check. I know <laughs> at the beginning of the show, he was actually kind of like what Homer, like it was sort of like Homer wanted to be him. It was kind of like the there was a juxtaposition, but like like Flanders was like the perfect father, and like Homer was like oh interesting. That's how it started out, but it definitely evolved to different. You know, he definitely became yeah punching bag totally and, right, and sort of embodying like all of the evangelical evangelical stereotypes from like talking right. in tongues to like being a Methodist and yeah. Right. And like, and, and you know, like, um, I remember, uh, uh, like, like his kids are playing a video game called, um, Billy Graham's Bible Heroes in one episode. <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> these twin boys, and you're like, convert him, convert him. <laughs> um, you know, so, yeah, so there's stuff like that, which, you know, you see that and, and, and it's sort of, you know, it, it is what it is, whatever. But I realized just recently that that's not entirely accurate and that there are actually a lot of, a fair amount of examples of religious people, even now, because I think there's sort of this attitude that like, oh, no, it was only like on TV in like the 50s and the early 60s where they would show, you know, religious people as good, upstanding citizens after the after the hippies took over, it all went away. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just don't I just realized I, this is not that true. And I think it's easier to point out the negative stereotypes and to tear something down rather than to uphold the good things. And I think part of it is that Part of it is probably related to the fact that the that the that the good things show up in very nuanced media that a lot of very extreme types of Christians are not going to consume anyway, and so they'll never see the positive examples. Right. Um, but in particular, two things in particular got me thinking about this, JP, and that was the trailer for the new um, Far Cry Five video game. Okay. Um, which the plot of Far Cry 5 is um, a religious cult taking over a small um, Montana town hmm. and um, or, or a, a series of small towns in Montana or something like that. Anyway, um, one of the characters in the game that you can play is an African-American preacher. He's a clerical collared um, preacher um, and he's a shotgun toting guy. And his whole thing is, is that he's he he sees it as his sort of sacred duty to uphold the scriptures as they're rightly understood and not this cultic misinterpretation, which I thought is a very progressive kind of thing to see in this day and age where it would be so easy to be dismissive and say that all Christians are crazy to actually have a video game that shows that there's some distinctions between like, you know, radical cult type people and then like people of a true faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, um, then, then that was coupled with the recent season of the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt season three, episode 10, where the character Kimmy and um, her gay friend and roommate Titus, they go to church. Yeah. And again, like it would be really easy for them to use this episode as 
as the means to just really make fun of Christians. Mm-hmm. But it was actually an incredibly positive um, view, an honest view of the church, because they, they talk about the, 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 the things that are wrong in Christianity, but also the things that are right and good. Yeah. Um, and it's very affirming and it's, and it's, and also being very funny. And there's a couple of, I mean, there's, there are jokes that as a Christian, like I can, I laugh at, at while cringing at the same time, because one of the big threads deals with the church gossip. And we all know the church gossip. If you've been in church, you always know that, you know, and they get her character perfect. And so it's like, you can laugh at that, but it's not disparaging. It's just part of the culture. And then as it goes on, like, it's more than just making fun of the church gossip and trying to dismiss all Christians as being these, like, hypocritical fake people, but actually, it actually winds up making a point that we're all sinners in need of grace. I mean, it's actually a very positive and straightforward gospel kind of thing in the episode. And so that really got me thinking about the fact that there are there are depictions of Christian and pop culture. I thought it'd be a good discussion for you and I to have about religion and Christianity and pop culture, particularly in contemporary pop culture, mm-hmm. and whether or not it's actually negative or po- you know, whether it's negative or not. And I think that overwhelmingly we'll find it's not negative. I think you'll find when it's sort of portrayed in a sort of nuanced fashion, it's actually a really good movie. And the movies that, that kind of instantly come to my mind is like um, Walk the Line, the Johnny yeah. Cash movie, and um, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Right. The Coen Brothers movie. You've seen that movie, right? I've not. Oh, dude, you would, I think you would love that movie. I know. Kane has been trying to get me to see it for a while. Really? It's just, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a bad cinephile, John Pope. <laughs> a bad cinephile. Yeah, I think, I mean, I honestly think about those two movies and also, like, just, I mean, because those are pretty blatantly. I mean, Johnny, I mean, Johnny Cash was a Christian, like you 100% like evangelical Bible Belt Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, Coen Brothers, the, the, at least the, the movie Brother were out there, it takes place in the South in the 1920s in the Bible Belt. And yeah, it's basically like two characters are baptized. Like it, it essentially the, the plot is like there's these three characters who escape from a chain gang because they think they can find treasure. And George Clooney and his two pals, John Turturro and um, I forgot the other guy, really good actor though. While they're on the run, they run into like this big like revival style baptism, which is like a huge crowd of people in like white robes singing like "Let's go down to the river to pray," and they're all being baptized. And and George Clooney's two friends, you know, they go to get baptized, and they come out, they're like, you know life isn't new and they're, they're, they become like super, super devoted Christians. But George Clooney's character is like, is a skeptic. It's like, I don't believe in that crap, but it, it all kind of comes, I don't want to spoil it for you, Chuck, but it all kind of comes to head it in. It's a great ending. Um, so yeah, I think about those two a lot. And also I've, I've been watching, I, I, I watched while I was on, while I was being aired, uh, crashing on HBO, which is, uh, our favorite, one of our favorite comedians, Pete Holmes. Yep. Yep. Uh, it's his show. Uh, it's sort of autobiographical. If you, if uh, listeners, if you know anything about Pete Holmes, uh, his background is is pretty similar to ours. He grew up in evangelical home. He went to evangelical college. Uh, I mean, I've heard him tell stories about his college. It actually reminds me a lot of PBA. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he married right out of college. He wanted to be a youth pastor, and he decided he wanted to be a com- comedian. That's basically what the show is about, and it's sort of about. He goes. To, he finds out his wife has been cheating on him. After he finds out these, she's been cheating on him, he starts like living at comedians' uh, apartments while he's like trying to, 
you know, make a name for himself. And there's this great episode at the end of the season where he kind of, he goes back to his church (laughs) while they're having a baptism. And, uh, there's this great scene. Like he was, I was reading, uh, this is how much of a nerd I am. I was reading his live tweeting while watching the episode. Uh, and there's a part where he ran into some old friends and his friends are like, Oh, it's been a while since I've seen you. Uh, ever since you left, uh, the wife and I watch movies every Friday night. We call it movie night. <laughs> and in the tweet, he's like, my, I knew people who actually said that. Oh, and like, and you told me that there's an episode of that show where like he's in the car with Artie Lang yeah. and, um, and he turns on his radio and there's a jars of clay CD playing. Yes. The flood started playing. I was like, Oh my gosh, I never thought I would ever hear that song on an HBO series. <laughs> right. You know, so there's a somewhat related to that. There's a great episode of, um, of um, the Jim Gaffigan show. Yeah. You know, Gaffigan's another great example, I think, of someone oh, who, yeah. I mean, he's, he's got, he's garnered this reputation as a clean comedian. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of funny to me when you talk to him, cause he's like, that was never what he set out to do. Right. Like he's not, but he's, that's sort of a niche that he's fit into, but his wife is really Catholic and you get the sense that he has, that he's really embraced a bit, the Catholicism mm-hmm. and, he um in the show though there's this um there's this episode where and it's also kind of it's supposed to be sort of fictionalized autobiographical of his life um but um his his wife the tv version of, of his wife not his actual wife plays but anyway she um she asks him to um that like there's like a family bible that she's purchased from the catholic church bookstore and she needs him to go pick it up but he's like he's got a show that he has to do that night. So his like thing is he's going to go to the Catholic church and pick up the Bible and just carry it with him to the show. And that by him anyway, it leads to this whole thing where it's sort of an extended dream sequence for a lot of it. But it's like the paranoia over what are people going to think seeing him toting a Bible around? And it becomes like this whole thing, like because he's got a Bible, he becomes like this champion of the religious right. And like <laughs> yeah. but it plays off of all those feelings that you have as a, as a Christian, um, in society. And it's just very, it's very knowing. And that's the thing I like about like these kinds of things. Like that's why I really want to watch crashing because it, it's, it's knowing like it's, it's within the worldview. Um, it's, and it's, and, and personally, I I think I have to, I think I want to give credit. I've never seen the musical. Um, but based off my knowledge of it, I think part of the thing that we should, that people should give credit to in this is, um, book of Mormon. Yeah. Because there's a musical that Matt Stone and Trey Parker wrote that was meant to both brutally make fun of Mormons while also embracing and loving everything that they're about Hmm. to the point that like Mormons show up to the show in droves. Right. Um, And even Jon Stewart said that um, he said that it's that the takeaway from it is absolute love for this really bizarre religion. And so I think that, part of that, that kind of mindset is what we have now where you can make fun of something, but in a way that shows that you kind of love it. Right. And, and I think again, and, and then I also think that Flanders, the character of Flanders of Simpsons has kind of become that now. Like he went through a trajectory where he was a bit of a punching bag, but I think now like he's, he's sort of, he's a beloved character on the show. Especially and his, like after his wife dies. Yeah. You know, cause that, I mean, when they did that, like, I remember watching it like, oh, I just want to see what they do with this. Then it be, kind of became like they, they really handled it like in a really touching way. Yeah. And so and so I guess that's, and that's, that's really the gist of this for me, JP, is that I think when we start scratching away the surface, we start seeing that that 
that pop culture is actually quite sympathetic to Christians. I would say, I would say, I would say they're learning. And I think, and I think it's because of something happening in, in either camp. I hate, I hate saying sides because I don't want to look at it as like a sides against each other. I'm right. not, I hate this idea of like Christians versus Hollywood. Christians hate Hollywood. Hollywood hate Christians. I don't believe in that. Right. Crap. Right. Um, but I, I, I feel like as technology progresses and we all get older and we all mature, I don't know if it's sympathy, I, but I see it as empathy. I see empathy on both. I'm in both. Empathy. Camps. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, and I was going to try to bring up, uh, bring this up a little bit later, but I feel like it'd be kind of good way to bring it up now. Mike Huckabee. Um, I don't care where you fall on the political spectrum. His jokes are awful. <laughs> they are really bad. And Camille Nanjiani, um, probably my favorite like comedian working today, new up and coming comedian working today. Or I guess you say he's probably just now making it. Uh, Camille Nanjiani had something to say about like his jokes. And he's like, the reason why they're not working is not because he doesn't know comedy. It's because comedy requires empathy. You have to know how to read the room. Because that's where most of your that's where most of your comedy and most of your timing comes from is how the room reacts to you, right? And I think I think the reason why for so long fundamentalist Christians and evangelicals are portrayed in such a horrible light, or at least portrayed in a light of you know not not the best, it was because people didn't see the empathy, you know? Right, right. And I think. As we're sort of, like I said, I think we're, we're we're maturing. People are maturing. People are progressing, and with technology and communication being what it is, I think it's allowed empathy to sort of flourish more. Um, yeah. And also, I think like um, I don't know, like maybe there's there's something that could be said about people like Bill Gibson making movies like Passion of the Christ, or um, or even you know, M. Night Shyamalan who made signs and stuff. And, and it's not just evangelical circles too. Like I, I watched master of none last week, you know, they shine kind of shine a lot of light on, uh, you know, Muslims in America and stuff. And, uh, actually a lot of different cultures in that show. That's a great show, by the way. I don't know if you watched that yet, Chuck. No, I've not. It's, it's really good. Um, oh, and there's this great, there's this other great, uh, standup special I watched with Hassan, uh, Minaj. Hassan Minaj, yes. I watched oh, that. Dude. I wanted to cry. It was so good. <laughs> yeah, no, it really was. It really was. Ken and I watched that the other night. Um, so I, I, I just think that it's not just, it's not just evangelicalism. I think religion as a whole is starting to, to gain more empathy. Yeah, and that's where, like, I think you're right. I mean, I think that we're, we're well, and plus, like, the thing that's never made sense to me, this idea that like Hollywood hates Christians. Yeah. Well, like evangelical Christians make up like something what like are people identify as Christian would do evangelicals and Catholics make something like what seventy five percent of the population. Yeah. <laughs> so like, you know, like come on, man, like they care about money. Yeah. <laughs> and if if they're gonna make stuff that is outright like hostile to seventy five percent of the to the to the to the country, like that wouldn't sell. But like people are still watching, you know. I mean, like. Obviously, it's not that bad, um, yeah. and I think that. I mean, so so that, that's just that factor. But the, but I just think of like, you know, the number of characters like on shows that like as a Christian person that I can look to and say like, 
that's a role model. That's an example. You know, like I see that person. I mean, represent. I mean, talk about just the language representation, which we hear so much in pop culture these days. Right. Um, you know, and so I think like it's important to say like, oh, you've got like a Pete Holmes. You know, Pete Holmes's character mm-hmm. is definitely like that's an important piece of representation for a for a for a huge segment of the population, people like us. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, white male evangelicals, straight white male evangelicals who have sort of you know moved away from from that tradition, but, you know, but you know that even though you move away from it, you don't shake it entirely. Um, and as you get older, you realize not all of it was negative. You know, there were positive things to be garnered out of it. And so those are things that you can, you can sort of embrace and celebrate or even kind of poke fun at and like, you know, in sort of a a good, you know, in a, in a good humored way rather than like a, you know, punching down kind of way. Um, but, but yeah, I don't know. I just, it's just, what I, that's and that's I guess really what I wanted us to talk about tonight is just I wanted this to be an opportunity for us to at least shed a spotlight and say to other Christians like say look it's really not as bad as you as your pa- as your pre- as your pastors tell you it is it's not like there's an agenda also you're there's probably a- more savvy than your pastors when it comes to entertainment anyway true <laughs> but like, but the people who are making policy unless your pastor is Chuck that sounds, that's it. <laughs> I don't know about that, but, but like, but like policy, I mean, like the people who are making policy are the ones running around saying this nonsense. Oh, I know. And, and like, and, and Pat Robertson and, and all those people on TBN and stuff watch our channel, not those channels. Right. right. And like, I'm sorry that you guys produce like crap. Um, <laughs> yeah. like speaking of, so yeah, did you know that, do you know that, um, um, TBN and others is one of the largest lobbying groups to prevent um, to prevent cable companies from offering like a la carte cable services. Oh, really? Yeah, um, because um, they know that if people were to be able to pay for their own channels, they would never pay for the Christian channels. <laughs> like if they could, if they could just pick and choose what channels they wanted to watch, they would never pick the Christian channels, and so it would defeat their bottom line. Well, they're not wrong. Right. But it's like, but instead of acknowledging that, what, why aren't people going to want to watch your channel? Yeah, exactly. Um, instead it turns into, well, no, we need to try to force them to, to have it. Um, which is crazy, but the, um, but the, the, but characters. All right. So JP, we've talked about a few characters. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm taking the podcast right now. I'm steering. Okay. Um, we talked a little bit about characters. I've got a couple of characters I want to talk about, but what about you? What other, we've, you've talked about Pete Holmes and in, in crashing. Are there any, and we've talked about Flanders. Are there any other characters in pop culture that are, that are, that are Christians, not just religious people, but specifically Christians that you point to and say, this is a positive example. And this is someone that I identify with. Uh, like evangelical, like it doesn't matter. It could be Catholic, could be whatever. Uh, Harry Potter is supposed to be a Christian, right? Like, oh, I guess I guess it's right. Yeah, or at least he's meth. Or what is it? Is it Methodist? No, it's not Methodist. It could be Methodist, right? If he if he was anything, he'd be Anglican because he's extremely British. Yeah, I don't know. I, but then again, I'm not like I'm the wrong person to go to Harry Potter because <laughs> I I haven't read the books. Um, but somebody else. Um, I guess Clark Kent in the in the DCU. You know, he goes, Superman. Superman's Methodist traditionally. Yeah. Um. And there's that great moment in Man of Steel where he goes to that church. Yeah, that was a really good. I mean, that that's a good scene from that movie. What about what about speaking because the, uh, the the stained glass window in the church is the same one in Kingdom Comes. So what about Kingdom Come? And it's oh yeah, oh and Norman Norman McRae, Norman McRae, the um the, the pastor. Mm-hmm. For me, like one character that I that I've that I've 
personally recently identified with a lot is um, Shepherd Book in Firefly. Oh yeah. Um, you know, being a clergy person, um, what I like about Book is he's a man of principle. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's some questionable stuff. The fact that his like commitment to pacifism, like there's this great line in the show where he's shooting at people, oh, yeah. and and up. and Captain um, and Malcolm says something to him like. And there's something about like eye for an eye in there or something like that preacher. And he yeah. says, um, he says, the good book says something about like, you can't take a life. It doesn't say anything about kneecaps. It's kind of fuzzy on kneecaps. It's kind of fuzzy on kneecaps. Um, <laughs> you know, but like that's uh, I mean, he's a character who he's, he's got a very, very hinted at rich backstory. He's he's probably the most complex character on that show for the brief time it was on the air. Um, and he's. And he comes across consistently as a man of profound faith. Yeah. And and that's the thing about him that I like is he's not the butt of any jokes. He's not the killjoy. He's actually a source of wisdom for the crew of the of the ship. Um and he is I mean, he's very committed to his vows as a I mean he's a, his role is shepherd, and they hint that that's kind of a monastic type role in, yeah. in that future. Um, and, and, um, and I, and so I, I think he's, I think he's a really great character and a really rich nuanced character and to show that a Christian person doesn't have to be simple. They can be complex, mm-hmm. but I will say that pop culture has often been a lot more, um, know, permissive. I'm trying to think of the right word here, but they've, they've worked a lot more with like, with like ritualistic liturgical, like kinds of Christians, like Catholic Anglican yeah. Christians, um, evangelicals, it's been a little bit more black and white at times. But. Yeah. And I think it's, I, I've always theorized that it's because it's a bit more cinematic. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like what's, what's an evangelical going to do? Like just take out a Bible. Like that's boring. Like, right. You know, but like pulling out a rosary or well, like, he's got the color. There's a whole costume for that character. Yeah. I, I think it's more cinematic. I mean, it kind of like, I listened to this podcast with Scott Derrickson, uh, the guy who directed Dr. Strange. And uh, exorcism, uh, exorcism of Emily Rose, right? And he's a Christian. He, yeah, I, th- I mean, I think he still is. Uh, but he grew. He said he grew up in evangelical background, like we did. And um, they, they asked him, like, like, or he's the one that said that's like, you know, there's more Catholic filmmakers than there are evangelical filmmakers, and the Catholic filmmakers like way better. And it's probably because it's it's such it's just much more like artful, right? You know? Scorsese. Yeah, exactly. Scorsese, Francis Ford Coppola, uh, yeah. any Italian director, really, any Italian or Irish director. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, and that's and I, I guess that's the issue is like when it comes to like American cinema, it's maybe a different story um, for a lot of people because and I and I guess part of it too is like I've often wondered because I grew up in this you know I grew up in this very evangelical world, but I grew up in a world where we believed Catholics weren't really Christians yeah. and that like Anglicans everybody they weren't really Christians they were they were a cult um yeah um and and I think like there's an ignorance to what the, what's going on there um that you just don't you just not you just don't know about it and so like you just don't pay attention to it because it's not the yeah. right kind of Christian right. like I remember. I saw um, – I went and saw uh, my big fat Greek wedding in theaters with my mom back when it first came out. And the religious undertones of that movie were completely lost on me. Really? Until I saw it again um, 
several years back with Cana and and you know since then I had worshipped with Greek Orthodox Christians. I I read a lot of Greek Orthodox theologians. I'm I'm a big fan of Eastern Christianity. And so once I saw the movie again, I was like, oh my gosh, like Greek Greek Orthodoxy is like a huge part of this movie. Really? And there's actually some really profound like and like the fact like I mean there's a there's a really stupid joke about him getting baptized where they baptize him in an inflatable pool in the church, which would never happen in a Greek church. But um but it works for a good cinematic joke. But like um, but the fact that he's like he gets baptized is um, that was lost on me growing up as an evangelical. I just would never have paid attention to it. But it, it, it meant a lot to me later. And so I think like part of it, too, like why the evangelicals kind of run around and say that Hollywood doesn't care about them is because they're just not aware of all the ways in which Catholicism works. It's like Catholic Christianity and Eastern Christianity works its way into the cinematic tropes. I mean, because it was like I mean, remember, dude, like remember when the Passion of the Christ came out and like evangelicals acted like it was like. The second coming. Oh, I know. It's like Mel Gibson made a movie about Jesus. And I was like, yeah, Martin Scorsese made one of those like 30 years ago, like, <laughs> like 20 years before. But you guys drove a bus through a theater over that one. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, and that just reminds me of like those days for me uh, because it's you really, really grasped at straws. Like when I heard Stephen Baldwin was a Christian, it was like. Yes, like it was. <laughs> we have a Hollywood plan. <laughs> so, yeah. So no, I, 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 yeah. I mean, we can, we we really should laugh about it because it, it, it's true. I mean, oh yeah, you're you're like, oh yeah. It's I, there's just no words. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure anyone who's evangelical listening to this is just giving like knowing nods right now in their cars or in their yeah, offices. You, you hear, I mean, you know, you hear Stephen Baldwin is becoming evangelical. Or Gary Busey. Kurt, Kirk Cameron. Yeah, like you hear all these names. It's like, oh wow, they're like they're, like that's that's so touching. A, a great Hollywood actor. <laughs> they're like, well, they're not, no, there's got to be a reason why most Michael Bean are not. Michael. Okay, I was stoked about Michael Bean. Yeah, I'm just saying he was in the ride, Billy Graham movie. Oh, actually, and, um, actually, actually, I need that. We need to take that. Out. He he actually he's not an evangelical. He didn't become a Christian. He just acts oh, in movies. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, all right. I'm getting paid. Yeah, he's. I don't um, think he is. <laughs> Nic- Nicholas Cage and Left Behind. <laughs> See, you know what? If that happened in college, Chuck, I would lose my mind. I would have lost my mind if Nicholas. Oh, bro, Cage. come on, admit it. You kind of <laughs> lost your mind anyway, but for a different reason. Yeah, because it's it is it is it is it is just as incredible, but in a different way. Yeah, that Nicholas Cage is was headlining in <laughs> Left Behind. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. It's but, it, it's it's rare. I, I'm still trying to think of other examples. Like I'm kind of having a hard time. Um. Here's what I think it is. Here, here's what I think the biggest problem with it is, is that it's not made by evangelicals. And because it's not made by evangelicals, therefore it's suspicious. Right. And and that, I think, is is the deal. Because, like, you know, I mean, like, I, again, going back to The Passion of the Christ, I mean, you, again, people – someone drove a bus to the movie theater to, and, and people died yeah. because of that movie. And for what? I mean, because because it's a what if – because it's an Elseworlds tale about Jesus where it ends with him making the decision that we know him to make. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a whole movie about reaffirming the importance and centrality of the cross. And no. I mean, like my my, my, my pastor growing up criticized that movie because the final shot is Jesus on the cross, not him resurrecting. Hmm. And like, yeah, that's the, they left him on the cross. They left him on the cross. And it's like, well. What does that mean? <laughs> 
okay, well, you know what happens, man. Like, (laughs) yeah, and that's but that's the thing is like that lack of trust in that you know someone who knows the story is trying to tell the story and that it can mean something in a. But uh, yeah, it's 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 uh, a it's 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 something that's always been frustrating. And like I remember a walk to remember. You remember that movie with Manny Moore? Oh yeah. Oh my gosh, I wanted to find a girl with cancer and marry her. Oh wow. Okay. <laughs> I just remember. I remember in that movie when um, when um, the boyfriend goes to her house and like they've de- they've they've clearly depicted her as evangelical Christian. Oh yeah. Um, but I remember watching it, and I was I was an evangelical at the time, and the boyfriend goes to her house, and then on like on like on like a side table or something with all the family photos, there's a very bloody crucifix of Jesus. And I just remember being like, because it's like there's a point where he like looks at it and the camera cuts to it, and there's like this whole like thing with it, and he's like weirded out by it. And I just remember growing up as evangelical, just like sighing, being yeah. like, "They got it wrong. <laughs> we don't have crucifixes. That's the Catholics. They all think we're Catholic." And he should <laughs> just if irritate. anything, they would have had footprints somewhere or something, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, or like my mom who was a. You had a a porcelain Jesus with like a child on his lap and like beautiful flowing yeah. locks. Um, love you, mom. Um, Holding a lamb. Yes, yes. Kissing. <laughs> I've seen that one too. Um, you know, so that was that. But so I would grow up and get irritated with that. But then it's in, in retrospect, like, who cares? As a Christian, I should just care that they're t- you know that that there's that there's a religious person, a Christian person, and it's like a and it's like a faithful, positive you know, depiction of a Christian family, you know? Right. It's not like, you know, it's not like, like Footloose where like the Christians are the wacko villains of the movie. Hey, they had good reason, man. Those kids died. <laughs> but somehow they all knew immediately how to dance. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. And I think maybe Footloose is really to blame JP. Let's look, let's pull that for a moment. Maybe Footloose is to blame. Footloose was, was like the first, like was probably, that was probably like the first like major movie that really made Christians a bad guy. Right. I mean, Footloose is probably to blame and, and probably the whole, um, you know, eighties culture at the time that was, you know, trying to tell people their children's toys are evil. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, we can We've, do, covered that. We've covered that on this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, it's. I think there's just there are. There, I mean, I've I've been to Hollywood. I've worked in the industry. The evangelical count is low. Um, yeah. And they're they're not really the decision makers. You know, they're not the money people. They're not the artists. They're usually the crew, or craft services, or they're working at the film volunteering the film festivals like where I was. Um, but for the most part, like, I it, it just, it's like you said, they're, they're just, they're not making it. It's other people doing it. Right. And I don't know. It, it just like, they're, they're doing it better. <laughs> and, you know, and, and when the evangelicals make movies, they make Kirk Cameron movies because they, they want, they feel that a character has to always be holding a Bible in every scene or like there has to oh. be a positive message or those, those two can't kiss on screen. Or, or, or my goodness, when um, – or that they have to – this was a thing I know I saw in like every movie growing up. They have to have the dramatic conversion scene. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's like, like – ha- It basically has to have an altar call in the movie. And it's like that's not – I mean that's not art to me. You know? Like that's right. – that's, 
why are you watching this? It's like you're just watching it to reaffirm something something in your life. That's what that is. It's 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 just like it's all affirmation. It's not watching something for entertainment or watching something because this might be interesting. It's just to see it's just to reaffirm what you believe. Right. Like, I feel like most people watch those films for for those for just to hear someone say, Yeah, God isn't dead. That, <laughs> like, yeah, like that's what they should be saying in the Supreme Court or yeah, that's what a marriage should look like. Thank you, Kurt Cameron. Uh, like, I think that's what those movies are for. And to right. me, that to me that that's not artful. And <laughs> you know, uh, uh, that's silly, that's silly tangent. I'll go back to that. Yeah, but I'm gonna you know, you know, so let me tell you. Let me tell you about like uh, my my first realization of cinematic nuance with these things. The first like the first time I it dawned on me, I realized something that my that my that a lot of my pastors and and others in my church growing up would not recognize was when I saw Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow. Oh yeah. Yes, because um there's a scene very early on when Ichabod Crane first arrives in Sleepy Hollow and he's trying to get to the bottom of these murders and it's the town he's in the in, he's in the he's in the the mansion of the ta- of the of the town's patriarch. And I think their minister is there. Mm-hmm. And at one point he lays this Bible on top of Ichabod's like science notebooks, like his forensic notebooks. Yeah. And he's like, you best start reading this kind of thing. And it's set up as like, oh, the you know, it's the overbearing Bible, black, wicked, you know, like overbearing fundamentalist, you know, terrifying religious person. And of course, you know, it's being Tim Burton, you know, you fully expect that to probably be the case. Mm-hmm. Because that's the kind of stuff he grew up, you know, being sort of, you know, bullied in. But then toward the end of the movie, um, Ichabod Crane can't get to the bottom because he can't explain what's happening by science. And then he puts aside his books and he opens the Bible. Now, he ultimately goes through to the um, to the family tree that's in the beginning of the Bible that he uses to kind of piece together everything. But I just remember, like, seeing that being like, oh, my gosh, like they made like there was clear cinematic language over the fact that he picked up the Bible and that he used the Bible. And it was an echo back to like the gesture earlier where the Bible was sat on top of his science, like his notebooks. And now he sets aside his own notebooks to pick up the Bible. And it's got like, and it just had this very, like, to me, it was very subtle, but it was like, ah, like the movie's about like, you know, not not everything, you know, some things are, you know, beyond the explanation of science right now. And like, you know, there's, and so it became, it was like supernatural and blah, 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 blah. And so like that, like, I realized, like, I couldn't talk to any of my friends or any my my pa- well, not any of my friends, but like most of my friends and pastors, I couldn't talk to them about that hmm. because they would have been like, well, one, like, why were you seeing the movie? It was rated R, and there was blood and <laughs> demons and witches in it. Yeah. But it's like, but you, but but the, the the thing is solved by the Bible. Like, the Bible plays <laughs> like a you know, yeah. and um, and so that's when I started realizing that things are a little more complicated than what I grew up with. Um, but that leads me to want to talk about a movie that I'm sure you really would like to talk about as well. Once I bring it up and I realize in all of our, in, in our few prep talks before this episode, and we never brought it up, but that is the early 2000s cinematic masterpiece known as saved. Oh Lord. Oh uh, boy. You know, that's a movie that, that deals with all the complexities of evangelical Christianity, but in the end is very positive and, and empathetic toward. Yeah. Toward that brand of the Christian faith. I think, you know, I remember when that movie was coming out and there was a poster for it. And who's the, the kid. Was it the same kid from almost famous in that movie? Yes. Um, um, Patrick, 
whatever his name is. Yeah. On the poster, he's wearing a, a Jesus shirt, but it's a, it's in the ACDC style. Yeah. I remember hanging out with some friends and seeing him. I was like, I want that shirt. And they're like, oh, JP, he, they're, they're totally making fun of it, though. Like, you, you don't get the joke. I'm like, no, I, I think it looks cool. <laughs> like, I think it's kind of funny. I want to wear it. Like, uh, I don't know. I'm pretty sure family. I'm pretty sure family Christian stores sold that shirt. I would have worn the hell out of that shirt. Yeah, where like the lightning bolt is like the S in the middle of Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but uh, yeah, I'm actually really glad that movie came out when I was in college because I probably wouldn't be able to see it was in high school. Um, but yeah, dude, uh, I liked that movie a lot, and I think like yeah. amongst our group, I think it, it kind of circulated amongst our group, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. And we all liked it. Yeah, I mean, it hit very close to home um, for a lot of us. I mean, because it was a, it was very similar to my high school experience growing up. Um, I think you, I think I remember you telling me you and um, and 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 the person I was dating at the time. Um, you both had more. You guys had gone more to like charismatic. Oh yeah, yeah. Type stuff, and so it was a little closer for you in that <laughs> regard. Yeah, Mandy Moore's character is totally like speaking in tongues and stuff. And right. Yeah, and uh, they, you know, you know they made her character very turn out to be very nuanced. Right. Well, and I think it's really interesting. I think that was great casting because she went to Catholic high school in Orlando. Oh yeah. And so she had had experience in religious high schools. And I think, I think she's able to draw from some of that. Um, I, for that role. I actually, I think about that movie a lot. Um, especially the opening to it. <laughs> because she's totally reflecting on her life of when she was, uh, you know, super hardcore, even fundamentalist. Right. Right. And the way she's reflecting on it, she's, it's so like, she's narrating it. It's, it's a montage of all these things she, that she did as a fundamentalist. And the way she's narrating it, it is so like kind of upbeat, but she's like, she's like screaming at abortion clinics and she's like throwing eggs at people. And like, <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, it's and it's it's really it's funny. I think about that scene a lot because it's like she's kind of looking back on it sort of fondly, but the image the imagery that they're espousing is like this is not <laughs> not something you look yeah. at fondly, right? Yeah. Well, and I love um and I love I love the part where she when she finally kind of decides to reject, she's kind of going through that like really dark night of the soul kind of thing, and she's sort of rejecting her faith or whatever, and she goes up to the giant Jesus statue that they have on the campus. And she just starts saying like every swear word she knows. (laughs) Like that scene is like, that's, that's, that's such a like uncomfortable and honest scene. Yeah. Because it's like, you can tell that she doesn't really know how to cuss and she doesn't know how to articulate her anger (laughs) at what's going on. And so she just says the stuff that she says, like she's a little toddler who's just learned all these, you know, he's learned these words. Yeah. Um, It's been a long time since I watched that movie, by the way. Yeah, but like, but it kind of, uh, but it ends up with sort of like a, you know, a sort of, it kind of has its own conversion scene in it. And, you know, there's that realization that, um, the, um, that the, that the pastor's kid, um, he's like not as crazy as everyone else, but he's still very like, you know, he's, he's intentional in his faith. Right. And the outcast kids aren't like the most they're they're not as cynical as everyone painted them out to be like they're actually pretty cool people like right yeah. right and they actually have like they actually seem to have some kind of belief but it's not you know like Macaulay Culkin's character like no one's ever really bothered to like talk to him about it yeah 
Um, yeah, I, I, I think I, I love that movie. And I think that's a, I think that's up there with some of the best that, that may be the best evangelical movie that Hollywood has ever produced. I don't, gosh, I don't know anything about that movie. Like, I don't know who directed it or wrote it or anything. I know that Michael Stipe of REM was very involved in producing it. Like he, really. he put, he put a bunch of money into it. Um, I think we need to have uh, an episode about that movie, Chuck. We probably should. We probably should. Um, maybe we should do like, oh, that's what we should do. Yeah. It's hard to do it now because it's June. But like since we've had these fun, like, you know, these sort of like um, alliterative, uh, we've had alliterative stuff here and there. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should do Jesus July. <laughs> and in <laughs> like all of July, we watch like Christian, like, but like unconventional yeah. Christian movies. Like, uh, I would love to get that, that Jesus movie I showed you that was like the story of Jesus, but like in modern day times. Are you talking about, oh, like uh, the Judas Project? Yes. I've, I've, I've always wanted to see that. I haven't watched like, Maybe we should do that. We should watch Saved. We should watch, um, we should watch, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe we should watch um, Stigmata. <laughs> Stigmata. Oh, my gosh. Um, um, oh, how do we not talk about Dogma? Oh, Dogma. Oh, my gosh. The big, uh, yeah, that's another one that was pretty controversial when it came out. But oddly, like affirmative, right? I mean, like, yeah, and like I, that's my 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 Catholic ex girlfriend introduced me to that movie, and she would like crack up laughing because like it was actually like make it was it was poking jokes at stuff that was currently happening in the Catholic Church. So if you weren't like an active Roman Catholic, you some of the jokes would have went right over your head, right? And so she was explaining a lot of it to me, and so like in the end of that movie, there's kind of a there's a kind of sympathetic. Like, yeah, I, I've always like it's always kind of stuck with me what uh, Rufus, Rufus the Thirteenth Apostle. Yeah, God, great character. <laughs> Rufus the Thirteenth Apostle tells um, Bethany at the end of the movie. He's kind of trying to teach her that the movie that it's like uh, everything is based on uh, belief. Beliefs get people killed, but uh, no one talks about just having an idea. What do you think yeah. about that, Chuck? Like I've always, I never, I've never ask anybody what they thought about that idea throughout the movie. What? Like the idea that like beliefs get people killed, but yeah. Cause like at the end, even though like Bethany, Bethany meets God. Right. I mean, that's more set. And yeah. And, uh, she said like, now I believe or whatever. And then he corrects her. You mean you have a good idea? It's like, yeah, I have a good idea. Like, what do you think about that? Like, I mean, I get, I kind of get the conceit. It's the idea that like, belief is sort of close to ideology and so belief becomes this can become this rigid thing yeah but like a good idea has by has some degree of like it's sort of inspirational almost kind of Um, amiable or or not amiable malleable yeah i mean i you know to me it's like the distinction of like of like my belief is that you must worship you must worship God as God is revealed in the Bible. Right. But the idea in this case would be God is love and you should love your neighbor as you love yourself. And if that's if that's kind of what Kevin Smith is getting at with this, God, I can't believe we're actually talking about a Kevin Smith movie, <laughs> then then that's something I'm kind of on board with. But if it's sort of like that there's that kind of thing where people are we've talked about before people sort of make a distinction between religion and faith or whatever and they make they try to make religion sound like it's bad yeah um you know i think that's kind of a false dichotomy i mean i think beliefs are beliefs and um they can be 
they can be it, it's how we it's how we it's how we utilize them that's the problem like i i i believe like i would i would i would take ownership of the fact that i that i that i honestly I absolutely do believe mm-hmm. um in that in that sense um but I, but but what i believe doesn't allow me to bring harm to people right and so i think that those who say they believe and then do cause harm yeah they i, I agree they believe they just believe something wrong yeah. and that they 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 and so i mean so yeah so i, I guess like we're like the good idea kind of transcends belief that the good idea is loving your neighbor as you love your, that, that and recognizing God is love and that that's the good idea and that that good idea can inspire and motivate your beliefs. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, I don't know if that makes any sense, but <laughs> I mean, I think he was trying to say like, instead of believing in God, have an idea that God exists. Maybe. I guess I, it's, been I can while, see that. it's been a while since I've seen it. I should well, it watch it now makes, that I'm older. <laughs> yeah. Well, it makes me think of, um, it makes me think of something that, um, Slavio, Slavio Zizek, um, I think I may have mentioned this in the earlier episode in the show, but Slavio Zizek um, was in like Kentucky or something once. And uh, he's a Slovenian philosopher. He's an atheist, but he um, does a lot of work in the realm of theology. So he's an interesting guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but he says that he, he drove past this um, church, like somewhere in the South Kentucky or something like that, um, that had a sign that said, um, here, we don't just believe in God. We know him. And he said that he says, well, doesn't that negate faith? Like he's like, so what he says, so to him, it revealed the fact that American, that Christians specifically in America, they don't want belief. They don't want faith. They want certainty. Hmm. And certainty is not what's guaranteed in the scriptures. That's interesting. Um, and that's something that's been, that I've been, that I've been mulling over a lot in the, in recent years is that, that faith, you know, as, you know, that as, as, as the book of Hebrews says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen. I mean, it, it's, it's not saying that faith is certain, but that faith, faith gives you an assurance of these things that you can't point at and say, here it is. Yeah. Like it's intuitive knowing, not intellectual knowing. Um, and, um, I don't know where I'm going with that, but it just made me think of, of, of this, this idea of like this, this thing we're talking about here related to dogma. So, so just for the record, we have talked about dogma and Slavio Zizek. (laughs) Only a masters of divinity folks. Yes. Yes. Um, so do you think we're running out of time? We are at an hour and 13 minutes. Okay. Uh, was there other stuff you wanted to cover that you had? No, I think I feel good about it. What about you? I feel pretty good too. Um, one thing I want to kind of bring up, I wanted to bring up where you're talking about book uh, from Firefly. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of Firefly. Um, I know the Brown Coats probably wouldn't kill me now. Um, but I really like Serenity. I just think it's a more, I just think it's, I don't know. I think it's a more, I think it's more focused. Um, but I really like book in in the movie Serenity because, uh, of what he tells Mal and what kind of that movie is about, which is like Mal has no belief system anymore. He's lost his faith because of what's happened in the war. And now his greatest enemy is somebody that does have belief. 
and is extremely convicted. He believes in a better world so much that like he will do anything to attain that better world. Like he'll kill anybody. He'll be a monster compared to you know Mal, who has no faith. And you know when when, when Book is dying in that movie, spoiler, sorry. Um, he asks he he tells them like you you have to believe or something, and he's like. You know, don't don't preach to me about God right now. He's like, why do you always assume I'm talking about God when I tell you to believe in something? I don't know if that's the quote exactly, but the yeah. idea, but the, there's it's a very I mean it's a, it's kind of an AA theology, but yeah. Well, it's it's a it's a believe in yourself, basically. Mm-hmm. At least at least believe in yourself, right? And I always feel like I was really, I didn't really get that in church growing up. Yeah, I could see how in evangelical because I. I this thing I noticed, like when it comes to church leadership, you know, from my from my the angle that I've taken in it, yeah. was like so. The, one of the hardest things I had to navigate with the Episcopal Church um, early on was learning to be okay with wanting to with like telling people that I wanted to do things, like I wanted to read in church, or I wanted to do this, I wanted to do that, because in my evangelical upbringing, if you ever told the pastor that you wanted to like give a prayer or you wanted to do anything, that was suspicious. Why do you want to do this? Yeah, it was about more it like you got to pray, but then there was like it was just sort of like pray and wait and like be faithful and good, and somebody, some hopefully someday someone will notice you and invite you, <laughs> or wait for a coincidence, <laughs> right? But it would be like someone you have to wait for someone to invite you to do these things. Right. You, you know, it was suspicious if you tried to do it yourself. And I think that part of and that, so I think I can see how that would you know that that's related in that same kind of thing. Like it's it's not about. It's not about you and believing in yourself. It's about it's about following the rules and 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 doing what what we say good Christian boys and girls do mm-hmm. in the hope that someone will notice you and get and that's and that's and that's and that's evidence of God calling you. Right, yeah. I mean, uh, it also kind of reminds me when I was on the missions planning team and how people just came up with these really wild ideas of why they should go on a trip or shouldn't go on a trip. It's like money didn't come in. God specifically said, I cannot go on this trip or I have all this money to go. That means I'm supposed to go or, and and I was just like, just do you want to go or not? (laughs) (laughs) Just tell me you want to go and we'll make it happen. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm kind of of the, uh, I'm kind of a little bit of the stripe of like in that, in that context about like, I think money is a determining factor, but I see what you mean that it's like that there was this sense of grow. Uh, there was a sense growing up in that world where like, it was almost like you could do nothing. And the idea was to be nothing, to be a leaf on the wind. Yeah. And just sort of, and just sort of like, you know, it's, it's God, it, everything's God. Yeah. And like, while like, while I do sort of subscribe to that kind of, um, Understanding of God's sovereignty, which I guess kind of makes me close to Calvinist, maybe. Um, is I know, right? I mean, the beard's going. I'm getting there. Um, but is um, but at the same time, it's like, and this is something I appreciate about being Episcopalian, is this idea of like, yeah, but God also made you. God and His sovereignty made you to be a free-thinking, fully-fleshed human being. And so this idea that you somehow deny your humanity and who you are is very Gnostic. It's very not Christian. Yeah. I mean, if, if you 
Like, the, you, you can insist, right? Like, you should at least have the tools by now to make decisions that, that yeah. are probably right for you. Otherwise, why even get out of the bed in the morning? Right. <laughs> right. Well, and getting back to this thing of faith, I mean, one of my favorite quotes comes from um, – uh, an evangelical mystic by the name of A.W. Tozer, who was writing in the 40s. Um, and he says, faith dares to fail. Yeah. Which I love that. Faith dares to fail. Interesting. Um, and that kind of falls in, that kind of goes against a lot of the stuff we heard growing up, right? I mean, the idea that, like, you know, like only, you should only step out, you know, when you know for sure that this is God's will, because if you fail, then you're outside of God's will and God's punishing you or, or whatever, oh, yeah, I know, yeah. Oh, you know, gosh. rather than learning to see failure, one, seeing that failure might be the lesson you need to learn. Like maybe you'd need, you need to fail. Yeah. That's, that, that's an important piece too. Um, and that you learn to see the grace in success and in failure. No, I, I agree with you, man. I, 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 I know I, I, I can feel why you feel that way. Yeah. Um, I, I, there was probably more you want to say about that. Sorry, I interrupted. I mean, I don't know. I was just kind of, I was just, I was riffing off what Shepherd Book said, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it's true. It's true that, it's true that, like, the thing about book that I like in the in those in the in the show and everything is how he reminds me of like Benedictine monks or something. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, I think I've, I, this is something I've, I may have mentioned before too, but I loved on. Um, on the learning channel back when, um, back before it was just TLC, they had a great little reality show called the monastery. That was, um, a group of people in a Benedictine monastery for 40 days of Lent. And it was like a devout, it was like two devout Christians, two kind of on the fence guys, like on the fence, kind of marginal Christians. And then two, um, atheists, like out avowed out and out atheists. And they're all in this Benedictine monastery. Well, one of the atheist guys, um, um, early on, it's like, the, it's like at Mardi Gras. Cause like, that's the beginning. It's like, Holy Tuesday is fat Tuesday. The monks have like, they hang out and have some beer or whatever. Well, one of the atheist guys, they, they break into the beer closet. They steal a bunch of the beer. They also steal the monastery's truck and they drive it down to like the nearest body of water and get hammered and then bring it all back by the next day. And of course the abbot finds out about it or whatever. And so they're brought into the abbot's office and the abbot is just like, kind of like, yeah, you guys are young and rambunctious and we get it. Like it's, it's, it's hard, you know, it's hard being in this kind of world and being in this lifestyle, you know, and yeah, it disappoints us and hurts us what you did, but you know, Hey, you know, it's, it's, you know, he just looked at it as a teaching moment rather than like castigate them and make them feel bad about what they did. He was actually fairly positive about it. And it was like, and, and he didn't use it as like a way to try to like hammer Jesus down their throat or anything. He just completely counteracted it. And there was just this sense of like, you know, you, you know, basically like you guys need to figure out what your priorities are in life and, you know, and like whatever. And he didn't, he wasn't holier than thou. He wasn't any of that. And I just sort of think like book frequently is like that in Firefly. And I, and, and that scene in Serenity is, is kind of similar to that where it's like, why do you have to assume that, I'm telling you that I'm always talking about God. Yeah. Um, you know, that it's that you, know, you got to believe in something. Right. And, and, um, and like I said, it's a little bit kind of like a, a spirituality, but which I, I, I feel effective. like, I think I, I, I know you're so sick of me bringing up Buffy, but 
I feel like a lot of AA police. I'm not kinda... so <laughs> sick of it. Uh, <laughs> what listeners? Listeners, we had a, we had a conversation on Facebook about this today because he mentioned about Buffy. And anyway, I just... I'm going to be self conscious every time I bring up Buffy now. Thanks, Chuck. Don't be self conscious. Don't be self conscious. <laughs> well, I just feel like Joss Whedon. I think Joss Whedon may have gone to AA or something because I feel like a lot of a, I, I see a lot of AA stuff throughout Buffy and Angel and and, and you're saying Tennessee and Firefly. That's uh, that's interesting. Yeah, well, and Buffy, and and just for the note too, Buffy is also a very religious show. Oh yeah, I think so. You know, and Joss Whedon is not a religious person at all. Yeah, like he's an atheist. Uh, but for a guy who's an atheist, he he injects a lot of uh, a lot of spirituality, a lot of theology. Yeah, I guess it's probably better to say that Buffy is a very spiritual show. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because um, I mean, like Buffy Summers is not exactly going to church on the weekends or anything like that. But crosses do play a big role in the show. Yeah, they do. I mean, it's it's part of the weaknesses of vampires. Yeah. Well, uh, that's about all the time we have this week. Join us next week as we try to sneak into an all women screening of Wonder Woman. <laughs> I kind of <laughs> talked about that a little more. <laughs> Guys, come on, leave the girls alone. Give them one night, two night, three night. What? Three nights? It's three nights. That's Give it. Three to nights. Them. Come on. Three nights. One movie theater chain. It's not hurting anyone. Come on. It's Wonder Woman. Come on. We, we got all these other superheroes. We're good. We're fine. You're fine. Don't be a baby. Don't be a snowflake. Gosh. <laughs> uh, no, but join us next week, and we'll, we'll have some other, some more, some more goodness. Uh, hopefully, uh, Deputy Matt will be with us. Uh, hopefully, the internet can forgive him for Kafifi. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, yeah, join us next week. Uh, have a wonderful week and good journey. Good journey. Father, how?